Welcome to the Authorpreneur Mindset, a podcast about the writer's life and what it takes to become successful, both traditionally and as an indie. It's a podcast that takes a look at the business aspect of the publishing industry and picks it apart. If you enjoy the show and want more, you can sign up for the Steam Power Dreams mailing list to receive emails with valuable information right in your inbox. Just head over to steampowerdreams.com slash authorpreneurmindset to sign up now. When I started this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to show was the struggle, the perseverance, and ultimately success of the writer's life. Of course, what this means is different for each author, but no journey is any less important than another. This week, I have an interview for you. It's with the multi-talented Darlise Lyons, who shares her journey and how she was able to claw her way out of the hole that life had dug for her. Before we get into that, just a quick update on Steam Power Dreams. We recently finished the first draft series of blog posts. This means that we now have a complete guide on how to write, edit, and publish your novel. This has been in the work for about three years, and it's both a relief and a bit sad to finally be at the point where I feel like it can help writers. I released a new post this week that sums up what you can expect, but if you're looking for the whole list, you can head over to steampowereddreams.com, and then under Writers, click on How to Write a Novel. Alright, that's enough for today. Let's get into this amazing interview. My guest this week is Darylise Lyons, or Dara for short. She's an author, speaker, yogi, and actress. If that's not a full load, I don't know what is. But maybe more important than any of that alone, she has found her purpose in life in her love of stories and desire to help people find happiness. Welcome to the show, Dara. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, of course. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I have been writing since I was five years old. I think, you know, lots of kids get in trouble for staying up late and getting into mischief. But I would get in trouble as a five year old for staying up late under the covers, either with my notebook or my books. Um, And I'd either be reading or writing. Um, I think at age six, my mom tells a story about how I fell asleep um, in my Cheerios because I stayed (laughs) up all night. Um, writing and, and reading and I used to I used to make up stories um, as a child I you know I, I had a vivid imagination and I think that for me finding an outlet in writing has been such a lifesaver because it you know, I always craved drama I craved intensity um, you know I craved make-believe and um, and so being able to do that as a living has been able has um, it's really sort of focused my passions in a way that is um, feels like useful and fun, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so I get you know I get to do what I've always loved, what I've always loved doing, and that's been really a blessing. That that's great to hear. Yeah, I started writing around the same time, right around five. Um, I actually remember. Uh, I was around five and I would go sneak into my, uh, my grandparents would pick me up after school, uh, while my mom was working and we would, I, I would actually sneak into their den and use their typewriter. I didn't know how to use it, you know, two finger typing, but I remember I used to type out stories because I thought the typewriter was the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Well, it was then, right? I mean, it, it, it just, yeah, there's something so magical about being able to create something on a blank piece of paper. You're, you're yeah. making something up out of nothing. Yep. Yeah. Because at the time, I, I couldn't write very well yet. So actually seeing the words, 
you know, misspelled and nothing was correct, of course, but seeing those words on the page really, really inspired me. And I think that that was something that really, uh, you know, kind of like you with, with just that age, it was really important to me as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And did you, for you, did it, did that passion carry straight through the whole time or did you get away from it and come back to it? Oh, no, writing has always been an important part of my life, uh, whether it was poetry. I did mostly poetry in high school um, or creative writing in in elementary school and then again in college uh, and then after college, uh, pretty much focused on um, creative writing until just a few years ago. But, you know, it's always been an important part of my life, definitely. Yeah. All right. So on your website, use the term transformational storyteller. Can you talk a little about what this means, both in your work and to you personally? Yes, absolutely. So I have come to believe, um, both personally and professionally, that the stories that we tell ourselves shape our experiences in the world. And so um, I guess you, you you asked about me personally and about my work. I will share that I'm a person who had a lot of early life traumas that was, you know, had a lot of sickness as a child and then um, some experiences of sexual abuse. I had some, you know, my family was very loving and nurturing um, for most of my early childhood, but then became sort of, it changed a lot when my mom met my stepdad and he Mm. came into our lives. And, you know, for years and years, the narratives I told myself about that really painted me as a victim and they um and they kept me stuck and what i mean by that is that i told myself that you know i couldn't live the life that i wanted to live as long as the people around me didn't change and that you know my pain was this person's fault or that person's fault and i found that when I started telling myself a different story, which was a story of personal empowerment and a story that said that, you know what, Dara, whether or not, you know, whether or not you ever get the apologies that you deserve and are probably entitled to, you know, you deserve to have an amazing life and you deserve to do what you want. And, you know, you're, I think there's that saying that, you know, you swallow poison hoping that your enemies are going to (laughs) die. And, um, and that you know, anger is like swallowing poison and hoping that your enemy is going to die. And I think much of my life had been lived that way. I mean, I had an eating disorder. I was very self-destructive. I was in a job that I didn't like that wasn't fulfilling to me in any way. And I, I created this whole life based on this, this version of my past that wasn't serving me. And so at a certain point, I said, you know, I... I need to change how I see myself in the world. I need to change the messages that I feed myself about who and what I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And my life got better. And the thing is, Jeremy, is that my past didn't change, but the way that I talked to myself about my past and my present, and more importantly, my future, really changed the trajectory of my life. and, And it made everything easier. And so, you know, fast forward after having gone through that process, now when I work with other people, I'll oftentimes ask them, you know, what do you want your life to look like? And they'll tell me and I'll say, well, what, 
you know, what's the story that you're telling yourself about who you are as a person? And often the story of who they are, their capabilities, you know, whatever, they don't match the vision of the life that they want to be living. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll work together to create a different a different narrative, one that's more empowering. And then all of a sudden these things that seemed so impossible become I don't want to say effortless, but the path to achieving them becomes clear and people are a lot more empowered to be able to, you know, to really reach their goals. And so that's the transformation part is that I think if you transform your story, it becomes um, fairly inevitable that you'll transform your life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. That's a great way to think. It's a great mindset. Uh, I actually recently just started to kind of um, ex like think about it in that way. Uh, one, a different podcast, um, an entrepreneur podcast I listen to, he talks about how, you know, the term find yourself is used in a, in a way that people think that if they just go out, you know, they'll discover who they are. But in, in actuality, finding yourself is actually telling a story about who you are. And I think that correlates to what you're saying. And I think that's that's a, that's that's such a empowering mindset because who you were yesterday doesn't doesn't have to define who you are tomorrow and um i, I think that's great and that, that you're you're passing that message on to other people well absolutely and i think you know some of the the advice that we give people that is meant to really help self-esteem ends up having a bit of a backlash mm -hmm. in that you know, if you tell someone Oh, say these affirmations about yourself every day, you know, wake up and tell yourself that you're beautiful. If the story that you have is the story of a person who, you know, is, you know, someone who was bullied at school and doesn't like themselves or, you know, someone who for whatever reason doesn't feel attractive. And then you, you, that person stands in front of the mirror and they try to tell themselves, Oh, I'm beautiful. Well, their brain is going to do this thing where it picks them apart terribly because that's that narrative of I am beautiful doesn't match yeah. with what they believe on a core level. And so I, I feel like sometimes people, really well-meaning people, will try to you know, engage in these self-improvement initiatives that just have a have a very negative impact because the story hasn't changed. The paradigm hasn't changed. So they're trying to like, you know, it's almost like trying to build a house on a, on quicksand. It's just mm -hmm. going to sink. It, it, it has no, no way to, you know, get traction. And so I really work with people to try to change the foundation if possible. Um, yeah, that that's, that's, I really like that because I grew up in a way that, uh, you know, my parents were kind of like the people who were, you know, you, you should you should do what you have to do to discover who you are, what your path is in life and everything. But, you know, there's really no direction in saying that. Uh, and I, I, I really value that my parents did treat me like that. And it's helped me a lot. But at the same time, I think that what you're saying is is spot on that it's without the direction, without the guidance, um, a lot of the, that motivational can definitely be misconstrued and actually hurt, hurt a person. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that I'm happy that came up because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately.
Oh yeah. Well, I'm 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 glad that we uh, we could have that symbiotic <laughs> sort of connection and, and experience because we did not discuss that. No, no, I'm, no. I'm all right, so let's. You mentioned growing up. Uh, where were you born and raised? I was born in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, but I only lived there for the first six months of my life, and so I spent most of my life, I think, from you know less than a year to my early twenties in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. Uh, and I, I have to say, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut, it was a great place to grow up. Um, I really got a lot out of it. I got a great education. Um, but it's interesting because it's not a very diverse place and mm -hmm. I'm biracial. I'm, you know, well, I'm actually multi, you know, multi-ethnic. And so, so it was, it was interesting because we talk about story and I think that sometimes, you know, people have like a rich cultural history or a, they, they can place themselves within a certain historical narrative. And for me, you know, I grew up the only biracial person in a very white family, and I had no relationship with my dad, who's, um, you know, who's black. And so, so that was interesting in terms of, you know, having a, an early childhood narrative where I was, I was different. And mm. so, you know, being able to kind of look back on that and claim that difference as a good thing has been a big part of my, of my evolutionary journey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you, do you, so do you think that actually informs your writing? Do you use that directly in your writing, or uh, how do, how does that inform your writing? I guess. Yeah, that's a great question, and nobody's ever asked me that. You know, <laughs> I'm um, I'm working on a series of memoir right now, and so I very much talk about about that. I talk about race, I talk about gender, um, all those things, and the and the impact that they have on my life. And I feel like the writing I'm doing now is way more raw and honest. Mm -hmm. um, up until fairly recently, most of my writing has been about, it's been fiction. So yeah. I haven't ever written a work where I was so directly in the narrative. And I never really wrote about characters who looked like me or, you know, I, I don't know. I think there was just a way I didn't really want to tackle that subject. But I, I seem to be more and more willing as I've gotten healthier and also as I've really started to do more empowering work with other people that I feel like I wanna I wanna tell my honest story and I wanna tell my truth. And so that it's it's been a wonderful process and a kind of an excruciating process, but not in a not in a bad way. It's just it's just um, looking back at a at, at life um, you know, 30 years after the fact or whatever, and, and talking about it, I'm, I'm really trying to be as, as real and as gritty as possible. But I don't know if you've ever written memoir. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's not as easy as being able to make things up out of thin air. Yeah, definitely. I, I've written some shorter pieces that were definitely considered memoirs, uh, such as when my, my dad passed away a few years ago. I, I had to write about it, you know, it's just, it's in my nature to write, and uh, it, it's difficult, and it's difficult to go through the emotions, it's difficult to get the words on paper, and in a lot of ways, it's difficult not to make things up uh, when you're when you're writing like that, at least for me. Uh, do you feel the well, same way? And I, yeah, and I think to a certain extent, 
one does have to make things up in that, you know, I mean, I can't remember if I wore a blue t-shirt or a oh. yellow t-shirt when I was seven, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, I think for the, just for the quality of the story, it's best to sometimes name things that you can't fully recall. Um, so I feel like some, some of the details can be made up, but mm. the lived experience, the emotions, the, you know, the interactions, I think have to be as true and as accurate as, as I can make them. I, I owe that to myself and I owe that to my, to my readers. And so, yeah. um, so, you know, that's the part where I really aim for accuracy. But if I, you know, if I said, hi, mom, instead of, hey, mom, like, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a creative uh, aspect to it, like like you're saying. Um, but for me, it was it was almost and, and I wrote it when when the my dad passing away was still fresh in my mind. So for me, it was almost like I didn't even though I was doing it to get my vulnerabilities out there to get my emotions out there. I still had a hard time putting down to words some of the more emotional things that I was going through. And even though no one's actually ever read that, it was still hard for me to put it down because, um, you know, part of memoirs is also looking at yourself from a different set of eyes or a new set of eyes in, in a lot of ways. And so I always find memoirs when people tell their life story, it's it's really interesting. I don't think I could ever do it just because uh, I don't know if I could... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could actually bring in that much emotion that I would want to put out there. It is as genuine as, as I am and as much as I, I feel like talking about these things are important, um, I think putting it all out there like that, that's, that's, it's something that's really hard to do. Well, yes, and I think it's something that is almost impossible to do. I mean, I would hazard to guess that if you were to write the same experience that you wrote about, you know, in terms of your father passing away, you know, that at the time that you wrote it, you were writing it for personal catharsis, maybe for healing, you know, to, to memorialize the event, to have a record. But 10 years from now, if you wrote that story, I think it would be a different story. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's already now, uh, four years later, would be a different story. So I definitely agree with you there. Yes, yes. And so I think sometimes with memoir, you know, the timing has to be there that you can't, you know, if you're, I think so much of memoir has to be a little bit of the hero's journey archetype, you know, mm -hmm. the, to, to be effective and to be, and to be good, you know, you have to kind of have that the person go through something and then emerge with something at the end. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a, a complete triumph, but some learning, you know, some personal growth, something. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think if you're right in the middle of the, you know, the muck, like that personal growth, the lesson would, isn't always so clear. And yeah. so, um, you know, again, we were kind of talking about the quicksand versus the foundation. I think, um, you know, for me, there are certain things that are going on in my life right now that I probably couldn't write about because I, I don't know the other side yet. Um, That's a good point. So I That's a good point. Kind of get to that other side and um, before before really really delving deep into it. Yeah, that that's a good point. I never really thought of it from that point of view. 
Alright, so you said you started writing at, uh, writing uh, around five years old, uh, and you said you read a lot growing up? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I read a lot. What, uh, what genres did you like when growing up? You know, I was a dark little kid. Like, I was, <laughs> <laughs> was a little, like, you know, tortured soul. Um, so I, I remember liking books. Like, I think um, The Bridge to Terabithia was one of my favorite books, which mm. if you've read it, it's, it's very sad. I haven't um, read it, but I've heard a lot about it, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's sad and it's haunting. I won't ruin it for people, but it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. I love Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry, which is, you know, about the Holocaust and, you know, just, wow. I, I mean, um, yeah, what other books did I like? I like Witches and Everything by Roald Dahl, which is, you know, he was twisted and, and wonderful <laughs> and quirky. And so I like a lot of, um, I still like books that don't necessarily turn out with happy endings or, you know, big ribbons at the end, at, you know, at the end of it. Like I, I, I just, um, I've always been fascinated with books that had to do with you know, death or grief or loss or, you know, infidelity or deception, you know, and, and as a kid, I was, I was no different. I think I, I just always liked to kind of delve into the darkness and, mm -hmm. and I find, I find a great deal of light and a great deal of laughter amidst tragedy. And so, and I've always been that way. Um, so I think those were the books that I, you know, that I gravitated towards as a, as a young person. That That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I was opposite. I actually, I actually did not read much as a, as a kid. Uh, really? I didn't get, I didn't get into reading until I was in my early twenties, honestly. Um, but even as a kid, like I always liked, um, stories that were that brought a good feeling to me happy endings um ma i love magic sorcery and things like that that's kind of where i went which is makes sense because that's what i write so it kind yeah. of went into that well that's interesting and do you all do you, most of the books that you write now or most of the stories that you write now do those have um happy endings do you have the, that tendency <clears throat> i always tend to make sure that there is happiness in the end that doesn't mean that my books don't have tragedy uh one of the series that i'm writing actually um i'm not going to say any more than this but one of the main characters die right at the end of the third book which is the last book um but even in his death there's happiness with the other people in the book and uh what happens after the story is even though it's tragic, it's still happy. So yeah, I always make sure I have some sort of uh, uh, happiness to it, definitely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's um, that's curious. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> I guess I would say that I think what I write, well, I, I write a spectrum. So I've published 20 books so far, and so some of them certainly have been very kind of happy and um and joyful and comedic and then some of them have been sort of you know dark and some of them have been just um you know mysterious and interesting but i think um what i most enjoy about the writing i'm doing now is that it gets to span the gamut mm -hmm. and, and i think those are the things i really really love um, those are the works that I really, really love working on where, um, 
you know, there's everything from, you know, suicidal despair to complete elation and, um, you know, an exuberance. Because that's been my experience of life is that Mm -hmm. it's really, it's very, um, not so much anymore. I think I've stabilized a lot as an adult, but, um, but for much of my life, it was very, very up and down. And so I like to Mm -hmm. be able to kind of capture that on the page and give my reader an experience a vicarious experience of that and hopefully they don't have to live those intense highs and lows but hopefully they can sort of get lost in the literature and experience some of that um through through my writing and my writing. yeah and it's funny you say that because in my reading i actually tend to not like uh and I, in my writing as well but in my reading i don't like things that are easy i mean like they're they're too predictable or you know you know 10 pages in that at the end of the book it's going to be a happy ending i don't i don't really like that um i do want conclusion i do want closure at the end of anything i read or write um but definitely um i tend to go for the more happy (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely well right yeah yeah it's um (laughs) It's very interesting, too, when you're talking about, you know, fiction versus um, kind of real life. And I guess this has to do with with the work I do, because a story can end and the facts are what they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the way that we shine light on those facts, I think, really shapes our experience of them. Um, So, you know, you mentioned that you're you're book at least one of them ends with a death but I think that your way of shining light onto that you know you're you're illuminating the shadows around that that darkness whereas I think someone else might just dwell in the darkness you know and Mm. and the experience is the same but it's how you know how someone chooses to tell the story that really um, shapes the reader's experience of that but I would go a step further and say that that's exactly you know that's like a mirror of what we do in life that mm-hmm. something happens and then we get to tell ourselves whether we're gonna we're gonna dwell in you know in all that's lost because of something or whether we're gonna look at what you know what possibilities exist because of that or what good things or you know, mm-hmm. what shifts or changes or, you know, whatever. I think it, um, we're all the authors of our own stories. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we talked a little about you growing up. Um, what about now? Are you uh, are you married or have any kids or anything? Uh-oh. Yeah. So I am single. I live in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't have any children. Um yeah, I mean, I definitely, it, it's it's funny, because I, I write a lot about, you know, my dating life and stuff, and I think I go in and out of being more socially engaged and, you know, more of a dater and, and whatnot, but, um, but now I, the thrust for me really seems to be career these days, but I am dating and I am, you know, open to to meeting someone I'm just not quite as consumed by that as I once yeah. was okay I see so you mentioned that you know earlier you mentioned that uh writing that's your full-time income you said um I mean I so I teach yoga as well and I do uh-huh. some coaching and I do editing 
work for people and sort of, you know, um, consulting work for, for people. Um, so it's really a hodgepodge, but, um, mm. but I can honestly say that, you know, my creative endeavors are what support me. You know, I get to sort of patchwork together this quilt of different, you know, <laughs> Different, I think, uh, different areas of interest, um, but I'm, you know, I, I left the corporate world a while ago, and so I'm, I'm grateful to be, you know, to be in a more creative. Space. Yeah, and I think a lot of the listeners can relate to uh, the desire to transition from. Uh, you know, your regular nine to five to uh, using their creativity, their writing as a way to uh, bring that bring in that income and, and pay the bills. Um, but also, you know, I, I feel like it's not just about paying the bills. Um, that's just where it starts. When you're able to do what you love, especially if it's writing or creative, then you just live a, a happier life or a, a more fulfilled life. Um, at least that's how I feel. That's how I felt since I've been able to rely more on my talents rather than my schooling or anything else. Uh, do you feel the same way with transitioning from corporate to doing what you're doing now? Yes. And I feel like for me, it's, you know, you talk about being more fulfilled and I certainly feel that I also feel more authentic mm -hmm. um, yeah. and more integrated. Like, so my corporate experience had nothing to do with writing. I used to work in finance. I worked for a hedge fund mm. and that's just not who I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I know some people kind of, you know, they're writing for other people, they're writing for journals or whatnot, but they really want to branch out on their own. I mean, what I was doing had nothing to do with who I am as a person. So I felt, I felt very much like a fraud. Um, and I, I kind of felt like I was, you know, I mean, this might be strong language, but I felt like I was prostituting myself a little <laughs> bit working in corporate America. And so, um, yeah, yeah, for me, it's definitely been a relief not to do that anymore. No, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I've been using my writing or creative now for the last um, three years or so. Before that, I was actually in education and I was teaching and I would just just while I was able to put a lot of my creativity and everything into teaching and I love teaching kids and helping kids, it just, um, it never felt right to me. It always felt like I was just going through the motions rather than actually enjoying or even really caring about what I was doing as much, um, which is why I ended up transitioning careers. Yes. Yes. And people that I often will encounter or work with, will say things to me like, you know, oh my gosh, I really want to pursue this passion or whatever. And this, and then they'll tell me about their day job. And, you know, I think we have, I think pragmatism is, is useful. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes people do certainly need a day job in order to support their creative endeavors and in order to support them in pursuing their passion. So I get that and I'm not knocking it by any means. And I mm. certainly feel like, you know, people should do what they need to do. I think one thing that can be challenging is if your day job takes up your time, your energy, your focus, your money, then there's very little left over. Yeah. Um, to pursue one's creative passions. And so I actually feel like, you know, sometimes people are better off if they have a day job that doesn't, that isn't really demanding at all, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. and allows them to then go home and pursue their passions. But so many people have jobs that are just so 
all-consuming that there's nothing left over to be creative or to really follow your dreams and then people don't get to to try for what they want until after retirement and that, you know that's that's just sad yeah i definitely agree with that and i think that that's you know there is that fine line of you have to pay the bills and you have to do what you have to do in life but if you are really that creative person if if, if that's what you're passionate if, if that's what makes you happy then you have to make sure that you have that balance. And I think that that's more important than any other aspect, at least in my in my personal life, uh, is having that balance of, you know, for me, it's like doing this podcast, doing my own writing, and balancing that with whatever it is I do to pay the bills. Um, and, I, I mean, again, teaching is a perfect example. Uh, and Stephen King actually was the one who originally pointed this out in uh, his book on writing, is... Education takes so much out of you mentally, even though you don't work full time, it by the time you get home, you're drained. And then by the time it's a weekend, all you want to do is sit back and basically recuperate. Um, so and, and I think most jobs are like that. Most uh, like you said, most demanding jobs. And it's really hard to find that balance. Yeah. Well, and, you know, this is the, uh, uh, you know, this podcast, the Authorpreneur podcast, like I think. Um, something that I've read in a lot of books for entrepreneurs is, you know, they give the advice to pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that has to apply just to money. I think that can also apply to just the best that we have in terms of resources, in terms of creativity, etc. And so I find that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I want to write. They're like, well, I'm a morning person, but I try to give myself, you know, an hour every night, you know, to, to write. And, I'm, and my thought is, well, why don't you give yourself an hour in the morning? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Or why don't you, or, or they're like, well, you know, if I get around to it, then I can, I can write or then I can sing or, you know, whatever their creative endeavor is. And my feeling is is that if people are really serious about the business of writing and the art of writing that you know that time needs to be sacred and, and it should be scheduled into your day or into your week and it really it's like a it's like a relationship you know we make time for the people that we love and so making time for the 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 pursuit and the passion that we love and it has to take precedence especially for people who have very little time, um, because you know what what they do have, I think needs to be, you know, at least some of it needs to be allocated towards following that, or I want to say towards making that dream a reality. Because I, mm. I, you know, I, I think that um, it's it's very sad for me when people have a lot of ambition and a lot of aspiration and a lot of desire and then it withers on the vine. And um, so, you know, so how does that? How do we kind of keep yeah. people reaching for their goals and 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 achieving them um you know yeah yeah i definitely agree with you um i think that just uh setting that time and i think morning even though you know a lot of people do say oh i'm a night person morning person but honestly like the more the the more i get into this process of you know working and creating and all that stuff is i realize first thing in the morning is the best time to do what you need to do for yourself 
And so I think that uh, even people who say, you know, that they prefer writing at night or everything, try giving it a, it a shot in the morning. And I feel like um, a lot of people who have done that tend to end up being more prolific because they get done with it. Even if it's 500 words or 200 words, they get done with it and they feel better for the rest of the day. You know, it's not it's not that thing at the end of the day that uh, they're thinking about all day that they have to do. It's already done. And then, of course, if you have time at the end of the day, you can write more. Um, I, I think that that's, that's one of the biggest things for me I've learned. Yeah, well, and also I think we're more in control at the beginning of the day. I mean, yep. And you can control what time you wake up, but then life happens, you know, kid, I, I don't have children, but, you know, like, kids need to be picked up from this event or that event, and, mm -hmm. you know, spouses, like, you know, have a bad day, and they need to vent, and you want to be there for them, and so I just think that um, sometimes doing it before any before anything can get in the way whether you're a morning person or, or a night person and there are some people who are more creative at night mm -hmm. um but i also feel like you know an object in motion stays in motion and an object at rest stays at rest and so mm -hmm. if you're a person who wants very much to be a writer and doesn't have the momentum yet then i think just getting in a routine is going to be helpful Mm -hmm. um, and then once, you know, once that routine is developed, then I think it does become easier to just write whenever you have a free hour or, you know, a free half hour or free 15 minutes. But, um, mm -hmm. but until then, I, I do think, you know, just prioritizing that time, even if it's just a few mornings a week and putting it in your calendar and getting up and, and doing that, I mean, that's how I've been able to write as many books as I as as I've written, I, you know, I certainly mm -hmm. don't write all day every day, but I do write almost every morning for mm -hmm. at least, you know, a, at least a little bit. Yeah. All right. So you said you you have 20 books published. Uh, how long ago was it that you published your first book? Oh, gosh, I should have this memorized. <laughs> but I was, um, it was at the tail end of college for me. I think it was 2006. Maybe 2006 that I published my first one. Oh wow! And then there was a big gap where I didn't publish anything until about 2010. And then since then, I just you know I've just been churning out a, a whole lot of books. But my first one, you know, I was I was still struggling with overcoming the eating disorder. I was working in finance. I was in and out of treatment. Like it took me a long time to really write that book. And then most of the most of the writing I've been able to do has been after that, after I got into recovery and I had all this time on my hands and after I left finance and I had more mental mm -hmm. real estate to be able to engage in, you know, in thinking about, about things other than balance sheets and bottom lines. And, you know, so, um, so I, I, yeah, I, I kind of say that I really got into this career like 2009. 2010 is when okay. I started to, to take my writing seriously. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I think that's a that's a that's a pretty common story. Is a lot of people, a lot of uh, people who had been writing since the early 2000s, um, their career really took off around that time, 2010, 2011. Um, you know, and I think that was kind of like a there was there was a point in the early 2010 to about 2013 that was almost a renaissance for publishing and writing and that's still kind of going on that's the tail end of it 
But um, I, yeah, I, I know a lot of authors who that's even though they've been writing for a long time, that's basically when they actually got their full time start. Uh, I think that's really interesting. Well, it used to be, and I think the publishing landscape is changing quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But there used to be more sort of small independent presses that would take chances on authors that didn't have a huge platform. Yeah. Um, and I think there used to be a little more merit-based publishing, whereas now it it seems to be that, you know, just with the, the plethora of self-publishing options and then also with, um, you know, with just Kindle and, you know, all the ebook options, I think publish, big publishing houses are a little more afraid to take a chance on unknown authors. Yeah. And um, so it, it, it does seem to be different. I don't think it's bad. I think that people who are, you know, probably your listeners are all people who look at writing as an art and as a business. Um, so I think that, that, you know, it's very, um, not easy, but it's certainly doable for those of us who, who look at, at writing that way to make a career of it and really have some, some success, some creative success and financial success. But in the early 2000s or, you know, 2010 or whatever, like, I, I don't think it was that way. I think that mm-hmm. there's the paradigm of the, of the author who just sat at the computer and wrote was a lot more fitting. There yeah. wasn't quite as much to be done from a business perspective. Yeah. So have you been traditionally published or all, are all of your books uh, independent? Oh, um, I have been uh, traditionally published um, for certain. I self-published my first book okay. through a book called iUniverse, but after that um, I've only published with, um, you know, with small and independent oh, okay. publishers, mid-level publishers. Yeah, and oh, I... Okay. Um, that works a lot better for me than trying to do it all myself. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of work to do it all yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So I noticed on your blog that you, on your website, on your blog, you talk a lot about, you know, um, your personal experiences. And uh, after having this conversation with you, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think it's important to put yourself out there on your website like that? Um, for both your writing but also for your coaching and everything else you do um, or is that something that is just more of a personal choice for you to kind of work through things like what what made you talk about personal um, your personal life on your blog right okay so I feel like I need to do that for the work that I do because I need to be transparent and mm-hmm. so the clients who come to me are Many of them are saying, you know, I, I'm here, I'm at point A, and I want to get to point B. Can you help me with that? And if I don't share with them, you know, the level of struggle that I've come from, you know, I think sometimes they're like, yeah, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, you don't know where I've been, and you don't know what I've gone through. And I think that um, for me, to be able to say, you know, yeah, here's here's where I've come from, and you know, I I'm able to do it, and let me see if I can help you, uh, is a lot more effective than for me to just try to kind of preach at people. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I certainly feel like you know a lot of authors are introverts. Um, I'm an introverted extrovert, so I, <laughs> I get to straddle both worlds, and I do comedy improv, and you know, I I I'm sort of comfortable putting myself out there and I speak and all that. 
Uh, but I think for most authors, they don't need to, to have the level of disclosure that, I, that I've chosen to have. Um, and I certainly don't think I need to have it just to be a fiction writer, but mm. the fact that I'm writing memoir, you know, I think it's very good practice for me to be able to put myself out there and deal with some of the backlash and, you know, and kind of be okay with that, like be a big enough container to, um, you know, to, to handle that and to, and to receive that. Um, because certainly when I, you know, when my memoir gets published, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be very personal. And yeah. so I think, um, you know, I think it's good for me to to do that, and and I have, you know, most of my followers aren't they're not just interested in one specific work or one book or one series. Like they're interested in 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 me as a person and in my story, and and not you know from an egotistical standpoint, but in my story of redemption and healing. Because I think you know if I can experience redemption and healing, then everybody everybody can. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I think that that is, um, you know, is why I've chosen to, to be very um, transparent. Okay. Okay. Um, so with with your speaking coaching, um, I think coaching is somewhat of a natural extension of writing, even for fiction writers or, um, you know, just just any any type of writers. It, they they tend to see coaching as another way to get their word out there, uh, but speaking isn't as common for writers. Uh, how did you get into speaking, and what's your experiences with speaking? Yeah, um, well, I I actually speak quite a lot. I um, I speak a lot about my children's books. I I think you know and go to the school systems and talk to different groups of kids and. Um, and I love that. I, I really, really love that. I also speak a lot about my having overcome an eating disorder and about moving past uh, trauma and sexual abuse and that kind of thing. I think, um, you know, my experience of that is being able to go and speak to people in a real and engaged way and tell my story and have it hopefully impact their lives and being able to really directly interface with people who, you know, I mean, I, I live in Philadelphia and I get to go and talk to, you know, inner city kids who don't necessarily have resources or don't, you know, don't believe that their stories are worth telling. And so that it's really meaningful for me to do that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I, but I, I guess in terms of my, I, you know, my background, I, I used to do acting and I still do some acting and a lot, a lot of comedy improv, improvisation and, um, and so I'm very comfortable in that arena, you know, being on a stage, being in front of people. I really, I enjoy that. And for me, it's very energizing. Um, but I think the part that feels maybe more like writing in terms of the speaking that I do now is that I'm I'm not putting on a mask. I'm not, you know, occupying a role and acting and, and giving a performance. I'm really being vulnerable and and being myself and um, and getting to to tell my story in the hopes that 
it might spare someone having to go through the experiences that I've gone through, um, either might spare them having to go through them at all, or might spare them the sense of, you know, shame or the mm. sense of, I'm the only one. Because I think a lot of people who go through, you know, anything can feel like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm terminally unique or I'm different or there's something wrong with me. And so I think being able to, to help people feel really like, like they deserve redemption and love is, it's just such a, it's such a gift and it's so humbling. It's, it's yeah. just it's really an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. Uh, how did you get started um, speaking or more, more specifically, if someone wanted to get started speaking, what advice could you give them? Yeah, well, so I, I think it's a little hard for me to give advice on if someone wants to be a speaker, like how do they go about doing that? My path wasn't, you know, I didn't do Toastmasters. I didn't like, you know, I didn't try to get into the speaking arena, but mm. I have had the benefit of being able to tell stories that are meaningful enough that people want me to come and tell them in a public setting. So most most of the speaking that I do, uh, you know, a school will contact me or an organization. I've gone to the Renfrew Center a couple times and spoken to them. I've gone to the Boys and Girls Club, you know, just different okay. places. I've spoken in corporate you know, settings and things. And, and usually, like, people seek me out to go mm -hmm. and, and do that work, which is such a gift and such a benefit. And it's usually yeah. people who know about kind of where I was and where I've gotten to and feel like that could be inspirational mm -hmm. in some way. Um, so I think that was my foot in the door. And I guess if someone wants to speak, I guess the, the question that I would ask or ask, encourage them to ask themselves is, you know, who, what story do I want to tell? What's the message that I have to tell and who is this message useful to you know who who would benefit from this message and then try to form relationships with those groups that would okay. benefit from that message and then you know try to find them in that way because I yeah. feel like speaking should be a form of service um so you know if someone just sort of wants to speak because they want to make money or they think like oh this would be a great you know other form of income or you know i like people have told me i'm attractive or whatever you know that <laughs> i think that's a different um perhaps target demographic than and a different paradigm than the one i, I come from which is how can i you know how can i talk to people who are now where i once was and help mm -hmm. lift them out of the ashes um so, yeah, I'm not sure if I really answered your question. But. No, I think I think that helps a lot. I think that um, what I got out of it on a personal level is you need to really think about what you have to say, what story you want to tell, and then, you know, pursue it from there. I think that that's, that's great advice. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, and think about kind of what value you have to add. Yeah. And I think we all have a great deal of value to add. So I certainly don't say that in a tongue-in-cheek manner, but I think that you, sometimes, you know, I mean, for me, like the groups that I'm going to speak to that I could add the most value are 
groups of people who, you know, they're going through certain struggles, they're going through certain things, you know, and, and, and that's not necessarily the people that I would have thought about mm-hmm. um, if I weren't thinking about, well, where can I, you know, where can I add value? How can I be of service? How can I help? Um, you know, who can I, who can I touch with my story? I, I don't know if, if I weren't coming at it from that point of view, if I would have been able to really identify the demographic that is most in need of my, of my work and my, you know, kind of my contribution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good advice. Definitely good advice. Um, so all of this together has made you who you are. And the, the, I think that the dynamic of what you're doing between your writing and your coaching and speaking, you know, and everything you do is really, it's, it's both unique, uh, in the sense of, um, you know, exactly what it is, but I think it's pretty common for creative types to, um, you know, have have a bunch of different things that they want to do or feel like they need to do, you know, to pursue in life. So knowing what you know now about what you've done to create this um, life that you have, what's something you could tell your younger self, the advice that you would give on your writing and everything else? Um, what's some advice that you would have, you would give to your young younger self if you could? Oh, gosh, that's a fabulous question. I have to say that my younger self was so stubborn that she would not have listened to me. I, um, I, can, no I can relate to that. Um, so, <laughs> so it would have fallen on deaf ears. But mm. I think what I would have told her um, would have been that she was worth it, that mm. she is worth it. Because um, mm. I think... Yeah, I don't really think my hopes or dreams or aspirations are that different than they were once upon a time. Mm -hmm. But I think my level of commitment to self-actualization and my sort of my belief that I deserve to have the life that I want Mm -hmm. is there now. And so I think I would have done what I could to to help her to see herself the way I see her now um and again you know I don't I don't think I was my younger self was really capable of taking that message in Mm -hmm. um but I would have I would have really tried to work very hard to um to encourage her to to pursue her passions and I think I also would have tried to do what I could to tell her that you know she had value and that she has a lot to, to add to the world. And I think, you know, I, even if she weren't willing to listen to me in terms of doing things for herself, you know, I think maybe I, I could have gotten her to, to do things for others. Cause I've had, I've had readers read my stories and tell me that they were changed by them in a good mm-hmm. way. And that for me is a motivation to, to really keep going. And I think that, yeah. you know, the stories that my younger self would have told have helped a, a whole lot of people and mm. so um you know i think maybe if i if i were able to make her see that she she might have you know, pursued her creative passions a little earlier Hmm. I, I love that i love that a lot because <laughs> i i'm the same way i was um, very stubborn especially 
when I was, um, I'd say about from six years old to maybe 13, I was extremely stubborn. Um, but even in high school and in early college. So I can definitely relate to, I don't know if my young self would be receptive to anything I said, but, um, I, I would probably give the same advice, like pursue, pursue your creatives, pursue what you want earlier. Uh, I think that's great advice. Um, so would you, now would your younger self think you were cool? Do you think the be you are now that you're like a cool a cool dude? Ah, uh, that's that's an interesting question. I think that the young self, I'm talking about preteen and below, would definitely think so. Um, after that, probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? Do you think your young self would think you were cool? Yeah, I think my young self would think I was pretty awesome. Like that's... I think you know, and I and I think she's pretty awesome. But I think where I struggle is like thinking that my current self is awesome. You know, I think that my young self would have, I mean, she was, she was very self-loathing and occasionally still, you know, I'll have self-esteem stuff come up, but it's really interesting. I never, you know, I don't think badly about the me I used to be now. And I think the me I used to be would think very well of the me I am now. So, I, you know, I think for me, the work is, can I get myself to feel good about myself? in the moment you know through every stage of development and I'm you know I'm, I'm working on that and certainly uh, changing my stories is helpful with that but it's it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting yeah yeah and I, I definitely think that a lot of people can relate to that um, especially the introverts out there <laughs> um, so uh, one final question it's just a fun one that I like to ask um, so if you had a mascot or avatar that represented who you are and what you're doing in life right now, what would it be? Ooh, uh, the, uh, animal, vegetable, mineral, like what's the, um, it could literally be I, anything. It could be anything. Yep. Okay. Um, Oh, this is awesome. Well, <laughs> I think it would be, I think it would be a swan. Swan. Um, and I think it would be a swan. Swan, because you know, like ducks, you know, they're they're pedaling furiously under the water, you know, and and make and trying to look really graceful, but they're doing a whole lot of hard hard work. And I think that's you know certainly the life of a writer. I do a whole lot of hard work, but if I do my job correctly, the end product is is graceful and good. And so you know, I think in that capacity, it would be a swan. But I also think, um, you know, I felt. For a lot of my early life, I, I felt like I was, you know, that ugly duckling. I didn't really completely love or accept myself or, or see my own beauty. But mm. as I've gotten older, I think I've really been able to claim that and, you know, claim my uniqueness and claim, you know, my physicality in a way that I wasn't able to before uh, and see myself as, as, you know, being really worthy of love and respect and, and, and all that. So, so yeah. I think I'd, I'd, I'd probably be a, I'd probably be a swan. I really like that answer. I think it's really insightful and it shows just how much you kind of have reflected on yourself and your life and your past. I think that that's, that's such a great answer. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to ask some people that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, um, when I, when I thought about that question for this, for my interview shows, um, I ran it past a few people and they were all just like, 
that's that's perfect especially for you know creative types and writers and things like that it's, it's a very because um, it tells a lot about a person what they say yeah yeah definitely definitely what's your avatar Do you, oh, does it change or is it always it, the same it changes quite often actually um some some i mean it can change daily honestly some days um some days i'm i'm a tiger you know uh other days i'm something more i don't know a cat i, I tend to be a, in the feline area because that's my favorite animal is a house cat <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but um yeah no well, it definitely I, changes for me yeah yeah well i appreciate you asking me the question and i really appreciate having the opportunity to be on on your podcast, this was, I feel like the time just flies. I know. I, I can't believe we've been on almost an hour and <laughs> it's, uh, it's been such a great conversation. So can you tell people where they can find you online? Absolutely. My website is www.daraleeslyons.com. Uh, that's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And on there, you'll find links to all my social media. I have an Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, and I, people can contact me through the website, through the contact form. I love being in touch with readers. I love being in touch with, you know, just people who are interested in writing or coaching, you know, just anything. I feel like, um, you know, if I can help people along with some insights or advice or, or whatnot, I'm I'm often happy to do that. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and is there anything that you'd like to tell the listeners? Some last words? Yeah, I guess, you know, people who have come to this podcast, I think are already a little bit ahead of just the person who's dreaming about their creativity because these are people who are actually taking an action. Mm -hmm. to be able to, to move forward. And they're really, you know, on, at least on some level, their soul is craving that creative expression. And so I guess I would just tell them that, you know, fear is a part of the process and just not to let it get in the way and to keep putting one foot in front of the other um, and to do to do the work. I, you know, I think that, you know, some people have said to me in the past, like, oh, I want to be a writer or I'm trying to be a writer and I, I'll say to them well if you're writing then you are a writer and mm -hmm. so I guess I would just encourage your listeners to be writing and the more that they are writing the more that they are moving towards you know creating that writer's life and um, so yeah I guess just you know keep on writing and keep listening to this podcast and finding motivation where where you can because the world needs more of those stories mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and you know, being so um, genuine with us and spending this time with us. It, it really, really means a lot. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure talking with Dara, and I hope to have her on the show again in the future. We're also looking for new people to interview, as well as feedback on the show and what you'd like to see. Just head on over to steampowerdreams.com slash authorpreneurmindset and then click on Ask a question. Or you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash SPD Writers Helping Writers. You can reach out to me and find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jeremy L. Collier, on Twitter at Soul Scribbler, and finally on Instagram at Authorpreneur Mindset. And if you find the podcast helpful, please share our episodes, our site, our social networks, 
and anything else. If you'd like to contribute, you can also head over to steampowereddreams.com Patreon to pledge a few dollars a month to help out. Until next week, I'm your host Jeremy, and don't forget to keep moving forward. The music for the podcast, named Funky Element, provided by Ben Sound at bensound.com. <laughs>